So, Mark. Yes. I want to talk to you about one of the best things. What is this thing? It's pizza, Mark! Pizza! Potentially the best thing. It's right up there. It's very hard to do pizza that is truly bad. Well, you say that. Pizza's either great or fine. Mm, That's said by someone who's never lived in Asia. I mean, this is true. (laughs) Pizza can be made truly terrible. I can guarantee. But, like, how? It's bread, sauce, and cheese. There's not a lot going on there. I mean, you I would suppose be surprised. You could, I suppose you could use, like, organic ingredients, or you could make it square like these millennials want. Um, I just need you to know that in this country, I had nachos. Should be fairly easy to make, right? Which country? Sorry, is this country the United States, the United Kingdom, or, as you've said earlier, Asia? Uh, the United Kingdom. Okay. Nachos. Chips, cheese, salsa, right? Sometimes not even salsa. We had that. It was chips, cheese, only half of which was slightly melted, and marinara sauce? (laughs) People can mess up anything they put their minds to. That's, you know, a very hopeful attitude. Which honestly brings us to this movie. (laughs) Right. As long as there were no figs. (laughs) Figs are too radical a thing to add to pizza, Tim. Didn't she cut up a pear, though? Because I swear they talked about figs, but I seem to remember her chopping up a pear. It looked like a pear to me. That's uh, that's what they call figs in Canada. I definitely think it was a pear because it reminded me of that scene in Attack of the Clones when Hayden Christensen cuts up a pear and then force floats it across the table to Natalie Portman. I watched this movie with a Canadian and she was very upset every time I tried to pin it on her. It's like the most Canadian movie. I know. I'm going to say Canadians do not come off the worst in this movie out of all the uh, nationalistic or demographic contingencies that we could imagine. Except that Canadians made it. So they are to blame for everything else that's in it. I actually see that's my like second order thinking on this is like there's a lot of people that get denigrated and they didn't necessarily have a stake. But Canada was probably like the least cost avoider here, allowing this to be filmed here. And like financing it. The Canadian Film Board contributed to this. There's the Air Canada plane. Everyone's wearing Toronto shirts. I do think it made Little Italy as a place seem kind of nice. Little Italy, Toronto. Like, I would visit the Little Italy, Toronto that exists in this film. We got street festivals. We've got shirts that say funny things, um, I think. But also, Balloon- like, there were balloons. children are going around setting bombs on people's doorsteps. Well, that that's... I don't know if that's... Uh, that's really just these two psychopaths. <laughs> that is true. We don't have any evidence that other people are setting off bombs in their neighbor's house. How old do we think these characters are supposed to be? Oh, boy. I See, I was wondering, because Hayden Christensen is, like, what? He's, a he's full, pushing 40, He's right? a full 10 years in older than Emma Roberts. He's, like, 37 in this movie. She's, like, 27. But it's definitely implied that they're, like, the same age in this movie. Like, they've been together since, unless this is, like, an anti-Star uh, Wars, and he was actually 10 years older than she was. And then they grew up to date. No, I think they're definitely supposed to be the same age as kids, which means that they're probably, like, supposed to be, like, her age, like, 27, 28. I would guess so. Although that you always let me win thing would be, um, yeah, I guess they're the same age. So let's say they're 12 when they're blowing up fruit on people's porches. So that would mean that that scene is in 2002. Well, okay. What are we going to say is that's 2002 or that was 2018 or I don't know. I honestly feel like this movie takes place in 2002. So I would put that at like the late 80s. What makes you say it takes place in 2002? Um, just nothing, nothing feels acceptable in 2018 that occurs in this movie that, I mean, we've got jokes that like should not have passed like the motion picture association of America post 2006. See, that's Um, where Canada comes in. Apparently their film board is much worse. I don't know why I would have thought they were a little more progressive than we were rather than regressive. I'm also not ready to say that this couldn't take place in America. The thing is that, is there any, like, technology used in this movie? Do people use cell phones? Do people use the internet? Do you see a computer in this movie? They use landlines a lot. Uh, Hayden Christensen is inventing an app. Oh, that's true. So, no, you know why this is, I think this is 2002. I'm actually going to dial it back a couple years. The end. Airport security, that is not (laughs) post-9-11 security. That's true. 
That is at the very latest September 10th. So what Hayden Christensen is making is an appetizer to get people to use the pizza. That makes more sense. I, so, like how Mark, I like how Will had a cold open planned and we've just blown straight into this movie because there's just too much to talk about. So, Mark. Yep. I want to talk about pizza. Okay, pizza. Let's What's go. What's your favorite pizza in a movie? Uh, My favorite pizza restaurant in a movie is Pizza Planet. Oh, nice. I couldn't think of if they actually showed the pizza in that, but I always wanted to go to Pizza Planet as a kid. So what you wanted was pizza and an arcade? Yeah. I it's called Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese as a kid, but this one was space themed. All right, Tim, do you have a favorite pizza or pizza joint in a movie? Um, I mean, Mark kind of stole mine. Does uh does that Samore come from a movie, or is it used predominantly in a movie? Well, because there's it coming up in the future at some point. We have That's Amore featuring the character Patty Amore, as written by Nick Vallelonga. Tim, you know about this movie, right? <laughs> no, Nick Vallelonga. We. We keep talking about this movie on the podcast because we can't not. Nick Vallelonga, the Academy Award-winning screenwriter of Green Book. And also the uh, the Christmas in New York guy, right? Yes, indeed. The one that Tony Anthony made us play at the end of some of our Christmas episodes this year. Oh, it's his favorite Christmas carol. So, Nick Vallelonga is writing a musical called That's Amore about an Italian woman named Patty Amore. I think she owns a pizza place and is trying to find love. I mean... That's, uh, I'm trying to think of how, I mean, I would say like, oh, it's ripping off little, I think if you, I think this movie is abominable enough that if you tried to rip it off, you would end up with a superior product. You would have to. It's, so there's different types of bad movies. There's so good it's bad. There's so bad it's bad. There's boring bad. There's, I need to take a shower after this bad. There's forgettable bad. This is like cinema was a mistake bad. Because there, you can tell a lot of effort went into certain parts of this. Like, the sets look okay. Like, the cinematography, like, the gloss on the camera looks good. There are talented actors in this movie. This was not, like, some dashed off, like, It's not dollars. It's in, not the room. Right. Like, like, there was a major waste of social resources in putting together this movie. I, I mean, I don't know this to be sure, but I'm pretty sure this movie killed Danny Aiello. I don't... <laughs> I don't think he was going to make... I think he had a few more years in him, and then he makes this movie. And I don't know if, like, it was it itself, or, like, he got whacked um, for just putting a shame on his career and staining it, but I I think this was it. I think this movie did it. I mean, this is his final film appearance. On that, the hottest take of the whole episode. I feel like we should probably start the episode. My favorite pizza in a movie. Oh, Yeah is um the one from set it up they have a nice pizza date also i have to shout out i don't like it i think it's gross but pizza with m&ms from the princess diaries and not a movie but the pizza that gets thrown on the roof in breaking bad oh i have to well you know those lunchables pizzas that you used to like two regular pizzas with sauce and cheese and then you get the dessert pizza with chocolate sauce and m&ms oh yeah put that bad boy all in one pizza that was the uh that was tim lyon style you get your Did sauce you your chocolate yes Yes, and the rare treats uh. when I get Lunchables, like once a month. It was all going to one place. It's delicious. That sounds that sounds horrible. Awful. I think that's. Oh my God. I, I don't even. I mean, if figs were too much in this in Little Italy, I don't want to know. I don't think I'd be allowed in. I think they they kick me out on the spot if I came up with that. Welcome to We Love the Love, <laughs> a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is an investigative podcast committing to examining the most pressing, urgent issues of our day. Namely, whether love is an acquired taste. The tagline of this movie. Ew. Love is an acquired taste. Ugh. This movie continues to astound me at how angry it can make me. Also, does Hollywood romance or Canadian romance actually make any sense? And did Little Italy kill Danny Aiello? And are these people even dateable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are welcoming a very special guest back to the show, our friend Tim. Hey, everybody. Tim is somebody we've been trying to get to come back for a while, ever since Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. And I reached out a while ago and said, Tim, tell us any day in like a two-month window that you can record, and we'll have you on. And he gave us this day, and I said, great, we're watching Little Italy. 
Will texted me to apologize before I had seen the movie. He just messaged me, I'm sorry for what you're about to watch. <laughs> so, I... That move that that actually that text should come at the beginning of the film. To be honest, <laughs> talk about a tagline. Whoopsie, I'm sorry. Like, no, I shouldn't be speaking for Will and Mark here, but I tried to watch like every movie for each episode, and sometimes I'll listen to the beginning, and when it starts getting into plot points, I'll stop and watch the movie. If you're like me and you're here, stop now. Do not watch this movie. However good we make it, however so bad it's good. We will make it sound better than it actually is. I think that has to be true. Because here's the thing. I had seen this movie before. I watched Little Italy a year ago. I had had a long day at work. I had to work on Saturday for a school event. I came home, flopped on the couch, and I was like, I'm going to watch Little Italy. Because I had been aware of it before it came out. I like saw the trailer and said, Mark, we have to watch this. We have to do it for the show in like summer 2018. And then I kept waiting for it to come into theaters. And I checked, and I realized it had never been released in D.C. It was never released anywhere. No, it was released I know, on a couple... Was, I know it was released. The box office of this movie was $54,000 international, according to the numbers. So I have different numbers from Box Office Mojo that are a bit stronger than that, but okay. still not amazing. Maybe those include pizza parlors that this was played <laughs> sure. in. Sure. So I, I watched this movie in March of 2019, and I was like, this is really bad, but I'm kind of enjoying myself but now i think i must have been delirious from just having worked too much because it is such a failure in so many ways where it is tiresome it feels far longer than it's like 90 minutes it's excuse it's 104 because i felt every single goddamn one of those minutes i felt every minute after like 30 there were bloopers in the credits of this movie like it's the year 2002 i want to talk about those bloopers but well i actually think you probably realized how bad it was, and then your brain just like didn't let you hang on to it you're like one of the kids in it when they grow up and they don't remember like how bad dairy was so i bet in two years you're gonna think this movie was like fine i think that's probably true i think i just can't fathom a movie that is this incompetent and dumb and frankly racist here's the other tagline for this movie Because I want to show you again how incompetent every piece of it is. The other tagline for this movie, and you know, I'm going to message you guys this poster because it is a truly dreadful poster. But tagline is, three generations, two families, one forbidden love. (laughs) But it's not even true because there are two two forbidden forbidden loves in this movie. It's like the guy who made the poster gave up on watching the movie 20 minutes in. The husbands are kind of, they've like forbidden each other from loving themselves as friends. And the wives are also sort of forbidden from interacting because they have to, so it's really like four forbidden loves. Yeah. Okay. But here's the thing about the wives. The wives are still friends despite the feud and they go out and like drink wine and subtly talk to each other. They don't drink that wine. They hold those cups. They pull wine glasses out of planters. Not like a bottle that they're like going to pour a drink out of. Or just drink from the bottle. They just have open glasses of wine sitting in planters that they then put back down and go back inside. But they never touch the wine. That's the crazy thing is we've got kids in this town that are like lighting fruit on fire and like causing serious damage on and like, you know, terror on random neighbors. And yet they don't notice like the bottles of wine that have been kept like in their own parents' restaurants. Like you'd think that's what they'd go for first. I have two prime examples of how incompetent this movie is that I have to address because they broke me. This movie was so long, but I still had to rewind several times just to confirm that these things actually happened. So, in the scene where he makes her dinner of a pizza on a plate that they carry up to the roof, on the table, there's also a open pizza box with another pizza in it that... Is just there, and they don't explain it. Like, they ordered a second pizza, or more likely, someone working on this movie was eating a pizza, put it down, and they just forgot about it. There's no evidence that anyone in this movie ever eats anything but pizza. I think, to respond to Mark's concern and and Will's point, I think pizza's so integrated in their lives, it's like white noise at this point. Like, if you see a pizza, like, on the ground, on a table, it's like... It's like seeing dust or like, you know, seeing a, a book just pizza's everywhere. We know that there's other food because we see her menu that she's making on the computer, which I also screamed at at how bad it is using like curly Q font. <sighs> Should have been papyrus. 
And then the other moment that truly, hold on, I wrote it down and I cannot remember it because it's so bad. Nope, how did I forget this? There's another moment back on the same roof where he's wearing a sweatshirt and has huge pit stains. But because continuity is a thing that is watched out for by a person, those pit stains became a choice at a certain point. They just allowed him or actively chose for him to have massive pit stains in the hoodie he's wearing with no t-shirt underneath. You know what? He's hardworking. And you know what? Those those sleeves, they were rolled up. Sorry. Th- I assume. Those, I think, are two peak moments of how broken this film is as a film that truly... I'm so mad at them because they also made me have to rewind to confirm that this existed and thus made the movie watching process longer. Yeah, that's pretty terrible. Again, Mark, I apologize. Yeah. Oh, f*** this movie. So, Little Italy, the 2018 Canadian film, was directed by Donald Petrie, who is actually an existing nemesis of ours, Mark. Oh, what? Because in addition to directing Mystic Pizza and Miss Congeniality, Donald Petrie also directed How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Of f***ing course he did. The second worst movie we've covered on this podcast. Are you are you ready to say, by the way, are you ready to say this is the worst? No. I think this is better to watch than How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. The worst is Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. Yep, that's it. I, I've stayed away from that one, so I can't judge. It's quite bad. It's actually worth noting that this is his first movie in nine years, and the previous one was actually one we talked about last week. It's My Life in Ruins, the movie about Nia Vardalos. As a tour guide in Greece. Who is this person? I'm glad you asked. Because Donald Petrie is from this like weird Hollywood family. His father, Daniel, also a director. His brother, Daniel Jr., also a writer-director who wrote Beverly Hills Cop and Turner and Hooch. The mom was also a producer. One sister was an actor. The other one worked for MGM. And in 2002, the entire Petrie family was inducted into the AFI Platinum Circle for their contributions to cinema. That's None of those sound like contributions. That just typifies the, the moral hazard problem. Like, you have to make sure all those have to be posthumous or the person has to swear off films. Because then after that, no matter how bad your film is, I'm still, you know, AFI inducted. And it's true, both How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and Little Italy are after his induction. God damn it. <laughs> I hate this man. <laughs> he's a he's a real menace. Yeah. Oh my god. So, I Little see Italy, what you did there, Will. We should also shout out... I see a, a real menace. An R-E-E-L menace. Oh, which there maybe, you go. <laughs> he is a real that's menace. That's the next Donald Petrie film, actually. Tweet at us with who your real menace is with hashtag real menace. R-E-E-L-M-E-N-A-C-E. Um, this movie is also written by people, which means that those people are responsible for what we had to endure to watch it. Its writers are Steve Galluccio and Vinay Vermani. They are both Canadians. Vermani primarily is an actor, and Galluccio has written other things, including a play and movie called Mambo Italiano. So there's more where this came from. Oh my god. I'm just... I was... I don't want to sound like I'm joking. This movie made me physically angry. I felt the physical reactions associated with anger in my whole I being audibly, as I was watching go this. Go on, Mark. And say your piece, I'll say mine. And it's kind of hard to talk about because I keep just getting angry I yelled at the screen again. twice and I had to hold one hand. I was reaching for the clicker with one hand and I held it back with my other hand. I was so glad I made friends watch this with me because... You made other people watch this? Yeah, because I was like, I can't suffer through this alone. I did not tell them about how you'd warned me about it in advance. I was like, oh, it's just this fun, bad rom-com that Will chose for the show. You really you need come multiple watch friends movie? so like, you can watch it in shifts. Like, I'll take first watch. I'll take the first 20 minutes. Mark, you are a hashtag real menace. I am a real menace. Will, we should have pulled a... <laughs> we should have pulled a, a splash and both fallen asleep just at separate times oh i did fall asleep so i had to rewind and watch it again this movie is actually worse than the sum of its parts because if you watched any 20 minutes of it like you would assume that a more coherent plot had built up to that point than what's actually transpired that is true because 
this is like kind of the worst example of a movie where things happen because the movie needs to continue. Like characters hide information or leave situations simply because if they were open with each other or hung around, the movie would end sooner. It's like gross incompetence to the greatest degree. I think that is what truly makes me the angriest about this movie is just the sheer incompetence of it. In in some like in some movies they'll plant the seed early and then the you know, the seed will grow into a plant and pay off and it's like, okay, well the plot line was kind of rough, but it's all leading up to this and it was kind of a plot device. Here there's no seed, there's no build up, there's just the plant. Like scenes will just happen. Like we'll get into this, I'm sure, but the flight attendant Yes. It, it, <laughs> what happened I feel there? Like we should just start. I think we need to just go through the romance. We'll get through everything. Okay, my one fact: this movie did technically come out, but it was released on video on demand while it was still in theaters, so it made very little money. It made about nine hundred thousand dollars in the United States and Canada, and worldwide, it made one point three million dollars. This movie doesn't exist. Will, do you have any info on when this movie was filmed? Because this definitely has, like, a sat-on-the-shelf-for-four-years type feel to it. I'm pretty sure it filmed in 2017. Wow. Because there's so many actors here that you'd feel like could be doing better. Like, Emma Roberts, you know? Scream Queens, American Horror Story. I would have thought she'd be able to sink better gigs than this. It is weird, because, like, this is what she's doing, right, while she's doing all the Ryan Murphy stuff. To be fair, I did just see her in The Hunt, so she is in some cooler stuff. Damon Lindelof Project. But she's, like, the red herring in that movie, so she's only in the first part. Oh, man. Hayden Christensen, not a surprise. Andrea Martin, what are you doing? So, the thing about Hayden Christensen is he is Canadian. I know he's Canadian, and that's no excuse. But also, I have seen no other Hayden Christensen movie besides the prequels. If he truly loved Canada, he wouldn't make this movie. So you're saying this is like a fifth column attempt to undermine Canada's standing in the world by Canadians? I think so. I Who was in power when this movie was released? It still would have been Trudeau. It, okay. All right. I think things are starting to become a little bit clearer, but go on. So the fun thing to think about is with all of the repeat screenings, there's a decent chance that The Room has made more money than this in its lifetime now. I think that's now. probably true. Because no one, no one should be doing late night screenings. No, of this. it would not be fun. I'm this movie to... is not fun. Again, no matter I'm how mad much that fun we're... we have talking about it for the next, you know, however many minutes, we need to be very clear. Tim set a good model. This movie isn't fun. Don't watch it. But please keep listening to the episode. I think it's going to be fun. All right. So every week we break down a movie's romantic plotline into five points. This week will be no exception. So. To kick us off, Tim, why don't you walk us through point one? Point one, of so it was tough to kind of pick out points here, but point one is probably the easiest one, which is Emma Roberts returns. She's been in the United Kingdom and she returns to create a new menu, but also she has to, I'm sorry, she has to create a new menu, but the reason she returns is like visa problems. I'm opening up a new place in Mayfair. If you want the job, you're going to have to have your visa changed. And that means you're going to have to go back home. I have to go home? I know, I feel your pain. Okay, we need to start yeah. before that, though, because we need to acknowledge, in Fiona's parlance, a point zero, the voiceover that launches this movie. voiceover, I believe, is explaining what's going on to one person, I believe. It's to Jane Seymour, right? It's to Jane Seymour, because it ends with, like, and that's how this happened. So I guess point zero is we get these two kids... They're really sweet. They like playing soccer. They also like psychological warfare pranks on unsuspecting innocent neighbors. So actually, they're horrible people. To be clear, they they take fruit and like firecrackers and they leave them on the porches of people who are sleeping outside enjoying the I don't think it's multiple people. I think it's this one man that they have decided to terrorize. There's no sign that this is like a frequent thing and like the neighbors should expect it there's nothing on like front porch forum or whatever it's literally this one guy and they get a rise out of him and it's not even like like in home alone buzz is obnoxious to the old man but believes that the old man murdered his family and salted their bodies whereas in this we're never given anything that this person has ever done wrong besides want to sleep on his porch in and peace. it's not like he says oh you kids and it's like a you know a fun pranks back and forth they run away there's no reckoning for what they've done i think one of the worst parts about the voiceover is the fact that it's dialogue yeah so they're like having a flirty banter like correcting each other 
talking about their careers playing one-on-one soccer with each other, in which one of them is the goalie and the other one just kicks soccer balls at them. Right, yeah, and that's that seems to be it in terms of the soccer of this town. I, I guess, and like, is it, there's a big thing about like who's letting who win. So it's just scoring a goal on someone winning. Are they playing World Cup? Are they alternating positions? It's not clear. But I think one thing that's important that the movie never quite tells us is like what their relationship status is. So obviously when they're, you know, 10 or 12 and not dating, they're friends, whatever. But like ultimately when she leaves, it's, you know, she's there through high school at least. So did they ever date? Was it ever obvious that they had feelings for each other? Were there other boyfriends, other girlfriends? It's never clear. So this is what I want to know, actually, because it is clear that Hayden Christensen is the hottest guy in town because he's got like flight attendants coming to him. He's being sexually assaulted by police officers, but it's not clear that he and Emma Roberts have ever had a romantic relationship. I get the sense when she sees him at the bar that there is some kind of romantic history, but I could use a little bit more yeah, of what Yeah, I was. think it's absolutely crazy that they almost make it seem like he broke her heart, but then never go further with it. Right. Like, it's not clear why she left town. I guess this is kind of taking us to point one. So she's in the UK. Um, she comes back because she has this boss, Jane Seymour, who, by the way, I love at the beginning of the movie when they're doing the opening credits and it says it's listing everyone in the cast and it says special appearance by Jane Seymour. I mean, that's basically what it is. It's like, you know, we got her. It's almost like under threat of blackmail <laughs> or like, look, there's something different this appearance. This is not something. your normal small role in the film. Like, we understand how much she's belittling herself and lowering herself by appearance in this film. So, Tim, you are positing that this movie murdered Danny Aiello and blackmailed Jane Seymour. I don't think it's fair to say the movie murdered him. I, I think the movie killed him, or he killed himself by doing this movie. Oh I think this took, like, the last set of the force of life within him. So Jane Seymour is the best character in the movie, though, right? Yes. She certainly has the best lines, because she's playing like a Gordon Ramsay kind of figure, which means she just gets to be mean to people in this movie, which is what I also want to be. <laughs> yeah, I also want to bully everyone in this movie. She has the two best lines, which are when she's going down the line criticizing her employees. At one point, she says that a dish has so much oil, the U.S. Army is preparing to invade it. That is the best line of the movie. It's the single best line in the movie. And the second best one is when she hands one of the chefs two pieces of bread, makes her hold them to her own head, and asks the chef, what are you? And the chef says, a moron sandwich. No, see, that's bad, because that's literally just a copy of Gordon Ramsay. Oh, I didn't know that. Except it's Idiot Sandwich. It's from Hell's Kitchen. He directly does that to one of his chefs. And so I was actively angry about that. Well, now I'm not impressed because I thought that was a clever idea. Oh, yeah, idea. they describe her as, like, what is it, Gordon Ramsay but prettier or something? Or yeah, That's exactly but what they say. It's not like, oh, it's like an interest. It's literally, like, this is the female Gordon Ramsay. Like, there's no, there's no, like, interesting twist on her. It's like, oh, it's the mean line chef. So Jane Seymour has, like, 20 cooks, fires 18 of them, brings in Emma Roberts and this other guy who, is he her boyfriend? It's not clear. I don't think so. Well, later on, they mention that she has a boyfriend who we never meet. And who is not an obstacle to the movie at all. No. In fact, I don't think Emma Roberts ever brings him up. It's just like her friends bring him up in passing. It's the kind of thing, like you said, where any individual scene of this movie implies that a completely different movie is taking place around it that backs up the things that are said in that scene. So Jane Seymour says, all right, you two, I need one of you to take over this restaurant. You're going to compete for it. And... You have to create the best menu, which sounds like like a pivotal expositional scene, right? Like, this is what our plot's going to be. We've got these two characters. They're going to create different menus, which would kind of be an interesting movie, except that's not at all the movie that then takes place. Right. It never gets mentioned again, basically. The man she's competing with is a lot more attractive than Hayden Christensen. Would have loved to see a movie about the two of them competing and falling in love. It would have been less painful. But is that man's hair dyed weirdly dark? The... <laughs> the next thing is uh, you're gonna have to go back and like get your visa or something like that and you think okay so that's if the other thing isn't a plot maybe this is the plot right she'll have some difficulty with visa requirements again not a thing she just flies back so 
it is true she would have to go back to Canada to swap from a tier four visa, which is what I'm on, the student visa, to a work visa. But it would take longer than two weeks to get the work visa. This movie oh, yeah. takes two weeks? Well, yeah. She says you have to be back one to two weeks. The thing is, I don't doubt that she. And would then have you to can come right back. back. But when you set up in like your exposition scene like this, like this is what the plot's gonna be. It makes it seem like there's gonna be some conflict about the menu, some conflict with the other guy, some conflict with Jane Seymour, or some conflict with getting the visa, other than simply having to fly back. Not none of it matters. And none of it um, matters. So she gets back. Her first stop is to the bar, like the main bar in her town, which is I think called Luigi's. Yes, it's called Luigi's. It's called Luigi's. Okay, hang on, hang on. Ugh. She gets off the plane wearing, like, a black, like, underworld Leather... outfit. <laughs> She's wearing, honestly, it would look like something her character in Scream Queens would wear. Like a big hat and a black coat and heels. And you're like, she flew across an ocean in this? And that goes straight to the bar. I'm glad to see the best, I think maybe the best tweet I've ever seen is America's pastime is not baseball. It's flexing on your friends from a small town once you move to the big city and come back. And I'm glad to see that that pastime is the same in Canada. As she's well. from Toronto. No, but she's from Little Italy. Her whole life is in those few blocks. I don't believe that this takes place in Toronto. I think this takes place in like some remote region of like Saskatchewan. Or that something. also has a Little Italy. That also has a Little Italy. And an airport. And an airport. So she gets back, she goes to the bar. For some reason she doesn't want to tell her parents that she's back till the next day. She wants to go to the bar first. She meets her friends there. Hayden Christensen is tending bar. They uh, have some talk back and forth, and then they go out and play soccer in the rain. Okay, yes, because they start immediately going into each other. This is the scene that most makes me think they maybe have a romantic past. And they get right into the fight again about whether one of them let the other one win at soccer in the past and they were kind of flirty right away like christensen walks up to the friends and is like hey can you introduce me to your friend talking about emma roberts they start getting in the fight at which point luigi announces all right we got a game coming on and the entire bar empties into the torrential rain to go across the street presumably nobody is in the bar anymore as they're all going to watch these two people kick a soccer ball around while Luigi pours drinks for them that no one is paying for. I think one thing to bring up is, like, what exactly is the economy in this town, right? Because it's established that the pizza restaurants are not doing so well. Not some third rival place that's doing really well. Luigi's is packed. But yet, these two are clearly, like, I don't think this would happen for anyone. Like, these two are special. Hayden Christensen is special. Emma Roberts coming back is a big... So what exactly is, like, this town running on? Well, of course, they have the Starbucks, but I feel like the Starbucks must be new to the town because the grandparents are acting like they have never heard of it. The grandparents also, like, have some memory difficulty, so it might have been around for 20 years and they wouldn't recognize it. Like, in this movie, Single Ladies is a new song, and Beyonce is a difficult word to say if you're over the age of 70. I do have to say, I was much happier watching the grandparents than anything else in this movie. They're the best part of the movie! That could be the movie. Danny Aiello and Andrea Martin secretly fall in secret and, like, make out in confessionals. But the thing is, they get almost the same amount of screen time as Hayden Christensen and Emma Roberts. Right, because it's three generations, two pizza shops, one forbidden romance. I mean, I was upset at, like, clearly... You know, these grandparents, he's supposed to be the patriarch of his family. She's supposed to be the matriarch of hers. And yet they have little to no initiative in, like, taking charge of this rift that has divided these two intertwined families and are just comfortable sitting in the backseat. Right. The fathers have gotten into a fight for the dumbest reason, and we're not going to pretend that we don't know what it is. So, like, 15 years earlier, there was a best pizza in town competition that the two families, which at the time shared a pizza restaurant... One, and then they proceeded to get into a fight over which of their parents they were going to name the pizza restaurant for. That for some reason became such a bitter feud, they would never speak to each other and spent the rest of their time framing each other for crimes and demanding that their families is, never interact. See, this is and like a, a larger with problem with the movie is 
this is a pretty common trope, right? Oh, this riff that goes back generations, just like in um, in Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, which I realize there's a lot of parallels in this that I'm a little bit concerned about. But in Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, it was like a fish thing, and like no one, it turns out it wasn't a big deal, no one knows what happens. But the repercussions for that down the line is that they pretty much just kept to themselves, right? Which is something that you can rectify. Like, we should come back together. Here, even if the initial reason for the separation and the schism was like ridiculous and uh, not a real concern, there have been legitimate horrible acts committed by each family that are much more difficult to forget. Right, like they've been framing each other for like tax fraud. One of them laces the other guy's oregano with weed and then calls the cops. Also, I feel like consuming weed that way doesn't have that big of an effect. Mark, are you suggesting that eating some weed on top of your pizza would not make you dance sexily and energetically on top of a table? That's what marijuana does. Hang on, did the marijuana go in the pizza before or after it went out? I think it's just sprinkled on top. That's what I, so that wouldn't, from my understanding, would not get you high at all. Whereas if it went in the oven, if this oven, like, you know. It would like hotbox the restaurant. It would hotbox the restaurant. There's no, like, it doesn't matter who eats the pizza or not. Um, I guess this is to point two. And point two is, actually, no, we're not at point two yet. As long as we're talking about this, we have to talk about the the weed scene with the cop. Okay, hang on. Uh, We do need to acknowledge before we can even get to that. At the uh, soccer game in the pouring rain, are we still, is that point two? Uh, That's point one. I still count that. Her her returning to her hometown, I count that all as point one. Because there's the soccer game in the pouring rain that everyone goes to watch, and they, like, collapse onto each other and almost kiss, like, right after the first game, right after she's arrived back, but then she instead passes out. And the next day, she wakes up in a bed at Hayden Christensen's apartment, and she is naked. Luigi is there getting dressed. And first, she thinks she had sex with Luigi, and he, like, tricks her into thinking that for a while. Hilarious. And then he's like, nah, this is Hayden Christensen's room. And Hayden Christensen comes in, and she's like, wait, did we have sex? And he's like, yeah, we did, tricking her again. And it, he's like, no, I just brought you back here and put you in bed, and I slept on the couch. This movie plays it real fast and loose with sexual assault. He's basically pulling a Jimmy Stewart in Vertigo when he takes her uh, name back to the couch after the uh, she faints. Same thing. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Her after I forgot the rain. about that. I feel like we could have had a similar rooftop theme. Leo actually does say that she took the dress off herself. Yeah, he's like, right, I put credit you in bed. Like, credit what you did after that, I'm not responsible for. It was the one redeeming thing in that moment. Yeah, I mean, look, this Hayden Christensen character, not a bad guy. He didn't strip hey, naked she, a woman she was, who was uh, unconscious. You know, she, she was just all wet. pretended that they had sex together. That's, a, that's Jimmy Stewart. Also, her outfit was very much not in keeping with the weather. The real thing is, like, she passes out. He knows where her parents well, live. Well, to be fair, it's, he could they just were, take like, her right, home. He does live right above the bar. So it's like, you know, I can take her or I can oh, like, drive true. her around. And, you know, I feel like it would not be good to have your rival. On his, like, little motorcycle. Your, like, nemesis's son bring your unconscious daughter to your house. The other, I, that is I a fair wanna, point. I'll give you that We might one. as well make this point here as anywhere. Hayden Christensen's voice is ridiculous in this movie. He sounds like he has his jaw wired shut. I wrote down he sounds like... No, he's Italian, <laughs> it's man. Not, he sounds like Luca Brasi meets Tom Hardy in Venom. Hey, pizza. You got I ordered you a pizza, and you know we got to make it with the sauce. It's my dad's sauce. These millennials, they want their pizza made in squares. Hey. <laughs> with organic ingredients. We're going to make an app. <laughs> it's really like... Uh, yeah. This movie does seem written in like 2014 at peak millennial hating into app. I almost think culture. He wanted, he like saw Lady Bird and kind of wanted to like get a little Chalamet thing going. Like he was trying to like catch the wrong tide at the wrong time, but he just. That's, that's why that's the, the dyed, dyed hair. hair. Yeah. But just didn't get any of it. All right. So we got point two. Emma Roberts is wearing. Even though the day before she was wearing this sleek black dress, clearly she cares about, you know, she's got to look her absolute best when she comes to like flex on her hometown friends. The next day, she's got a stunt on all her little Italy friends. And then the next day, she's wearing like a tie dye shirt and like jorts and is like carrying a soccer ball and chewing bubblegum and is like the exact opposite and shows up to Hayden Christensen's house. I guess like the. Maybe it's like, oh, the, you know, the 
the ice has been broken now because I slept over your house. But also, like, now she has to be the, like, cool, fun girl from your past as opposed to the, like, standoffish sexual woman who is also there. She also has her soccer ball with her, so she's there to play a game. Here's the thing with with the, the, like, possible out I gave this movie of, like, oh, that was going to be a theme, but they broke the ice, is that that theme comes back in full force, like, ten minutes later, that she's the big city girl that's big time for the uh for the small town anymore but like for this 10 minutes conveniently for this 10 minutes when she meets the super well super made up flight attendant then she's you know girl next door i can't no, no, no. i've worked too hard to come back to this you know there's a reason why they call it little italy because nothing ever changes here so she shows up to the house this flight attendant or pilot i forget how she's dressed um if that i think she's indicate. a flight attendant she's a flight attendant shows up to hayden christensen's house knocks on the door they ring the same doorbell oh no they ring the same doorbell and he comes out and she says nothing that would redeem her as a human being for a straight i don't know three four minutes however interminable this scene is uh and then he looks at roberts very apologetically and says like sorry or whatever let's have dinner tomorrow and then just goes inside with this girl and this is all we should say it's like it's like i can't i can't hang out with you tonight because like i have this woman here at two o'clock in the afternoon but tomorrow, let's this do is it. also someone who this is not like a Tinder date that he hired or like an escort or whatever. This is clearly someone that he's dated before. Like she shows enough familiarity with him and the place, and it's completely out of character for him to be dating someone this superficial. I mean, he doesn't have a character. By saying something is out of character, that is implying that there is a character here. I think he's a he's a nice guy who wants to make everybody happy. I think it's like a one dimensional thing. And he, like, kind of cares about his family, misses Emma Roberts. But there's no room in that for, like, the uh, bombshell, totally made-up flight attendant who's in town for the night or the day for him to be hanging out with her. I don't, I don't understand, like, what they talk about. He also doesn't just seem like a guy that is interested in just sleeping with women and then moving on. But that's where this movie is trying to make him, like, the sexiest man in town who's, like hooking up with all these women, but also can't commit to showing you any of that because they need him to just be like the nice guy who's just been in love with Emma Roberts. Right. So you show something completely out of character to then define his character that way. It's not clear whether this is a girlfriend or like this is one of 20 and like she showed up on Wednesday, but if she showed up on Thursday, it'd be Ashley. That's what I think it is. I think it's like Catcher Block in Down With Love where he's, at least in this scene, implied to have this rotating cast of women who just show up and hang out for a night. That's that's just not yeah, I don't I I don't understand the ambiguity on this. Like either he's got a girlfriend that Emma Roberts has to compete against, but because she never shows up again, it's assumed that not. But again, he only has one girlfriend. Or, you know, if he's dating all these women, we only see one. Nothing makes sense. Um so that's that's uh step two. Anything else before I move on to step three? Um is the incident with the cop at the pizza place going to come up again, or should we talk about oh, that? Oh, we should talk about that. Yeah, that the abusive pat down here is about as funny as it was in uh, in Crash. By the way, before, actually, I need to note that when the cops first show up, Hayden Christensen takes all the weed, and he hides it in the oven. So at that point, he's hotboxing the restaurant. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't I don't have much more to say about uh, about the hilarity that ensued. It, it's also, it's probably the worst scene in the movie where, like, you can't convince yourself there's probably 60 people, including extras in the scene. And unlike some of the other scenes, I'm not convinced that a single person's on set's skin is not crawling during that scene. It's so long. It's so long. The actress hates it. Hayden Christensen hates it. The extras are, like, kind of squirming around. Like, was this goofing off on set that decided to get filmed? She's delivering her lines like she's... Like, again, under blackmail, like Jane Seymour style, except she doesn't have the talent to Jane Seymour. Well, no, but yeah, it's this woman playing a police officer who's investigating Hayden Christensen because of all the pot in the restaurant. And she just spends the whole time feeling him up, like grabbing him all over the place, talking about how attractive how he, he didn't is. declare the like, guns throw- when she's feeling his arms. Like throwing around prison. Well, thankfully, jokes. those are the only time that those jokes are made in it- the movie. Oh, wait, nope. Because then there's the next scene. Anything more on this before we move on to the uh, the contest at the bar? No, let's do the contest. All right, so they show up. Uh, this is, I guess, point two and a half because it doesn't really involve the romance, but we have to get into it. The dads show up to the bar, have some contest, and they start arguing with each other whose daughter versus son is more attractive. 
commenting on how attractive Hayden Christensen is. And uh, yes, more prison rape jokes. There's- that scene is super weird because the premise of that is that on some kind of regular basis, the two dads go to Luigi's and just insult each other until one of them is so infuriated that he gets off the stool. And like people watch and bet on this and have a great time. <laughs> it's um again the the thing with this is like if this were an 80 minute movie or a 75 minute movie you're like all right i get that there's only so much they can scratch off before it's a feature film you could cut 15 minutes from this movie and it'd be 86 minutes no one's gonna complain like that was a great movie but i wanted 15 minutes more any of this could be cut all right point three making pizza my father would consider this the highest form of treason is that the pizza or us being together? Both. So this is the dinner date. Emma Roberts comes over and the two of them are just hanging out, being themselves, making some pizza. Hayden Christensen has an open-faced, full-on pizza oven in his second-story apartment. Well, again, this is Little Italy, so the buildings were constructed with having pizza ovens in mind. Yeah, that just comes standard there. Okay, so after that, they hang out on the roof. There's apparently some sort of conflict between them. It's not clear what it is. Well, they have to fight because if they get together now, then the movie's Again, over. it'd be one thing if fight was over like his girlfriends, but it's not clearly about his girlfriends, right? It's not clearly about anything. <laughs> it's not like they, you know, oh, that, that, uh, that conflict was kind of manufactured. Here, they didn't even manufacture anything. There is nothing. Each they just <laughs> get mad at each other. If you watch a scene in isolation, you'd be able to come up with something like, oh, he cheated on her, or oh, he has another girlfriend, or oh, he refuses to sell the business and move out with her. But there's there's just not, there's nothing here. There's nothing except for 50 table lamps that are clearly not weatherproof on a roof. Just all over the place. He's got like a rooftop garden where he's growing his own plants for making pizzas with, so he can experiment with his organic pizza. And then just table lamps everywhere. So then slip downtown Little Italy and go to some festival and they try on some shirts. Yeah. So the next day he tells her like, oh, we should do something again tomorrow. I'll pick you up in the morning. So he picks her up on his little scooter and drives her on the, the little like Vespa to the Italians street festival where they look at t-shirts. Which they say it's a few blocks. Why did he need his little bike? Because he's a little Italian. So he's got to ride a little Italian vehicle. They also change their shirts. They leave wearing new shirts with funny slogans from a street festival in Toronto's Little in, Italy. In remote Saskatchewan's Little Italy. I thought this was a... He is wearing a, ter- a denim Toronto Blue Jays jacket the first time we see him. Oh, that's Christmas. true. I want to pin as much blame on the city of Toronto as possible because they allowed this to happen. Like? Um, I don't know where he would fit I in I feel like movie. he could be at Luigi's. Yeah, that um, would be it. Because... The only people of color in this movie are Luigi, and then each of the pizza places has an Indian employee, and that well, no, whole portrayal it's, what's is nice about that is like you'd think that a movie that this bigoted are like would be respectful enough, and you're right to you know not have lines about Bombay and curry and oh wait no it's uh it's all that it's all that and more. Those are the only lines those characters have. Also, don't worry. There's two Indian people, so they do end oh, up man. together at the end. Yeah, we have to... Uh... The woman is portrayed as like being really like stern and, frankly, shrewish. The man is buffoonish. It's really, truly terrible. Yeah. I, I wrote down some of the lines that were said, and I'm just going to move on. We'll this just... movie's co-written by an Indian man. We'll just leave those... Uh... I mean, he may, he may have relinquished some uh, creative control once it was passed on from the writing to the direction. I'm not going to speculate further about what happened there. I guess the next thing is the, um, they, uh, I'm trying to get, but anything before the contest? I guess it's just the they contest. Break up. So they, well, the big thing that happens besides that is through the whole movie, we have the secondary romance between Danny Aiello and Andrea Martin, who also need to be, keep it a secret because their sons are so vitriolic towards one another. So they've been like meeting each other in confessionals and making out. They get caught by the priest, so they have to leave and go to Starbucks, which they have clearly never heard of, and they are dazzled by the products at Starbucks, which must have put a chunk of change into this movie, along with Air Canada. Yeah, I was about to say, how much of this movie's budget is just from Starbucks and Air Canada? And then they 
call both families together for dinner because they want to be like, we're in love, we're getting married. And that's where the fight happens because the families are just driven apart by the fact that Danny Aiello and Andrea Martin want to bang. Don't forget that they tell them at a restaurant called Karma Sutra Sensual Indian Cuisine. I had forgotten about that. And there's pictures of the Kama Sutra everywhere. I I feel like this is a good point to, like, step out. And This movie could have taken a few different paths that would have been fine. It could have gone the normal Hallmark pass of just, like, it's G-rated, it's genial, everything works out in the end, like, it's very bland, there's nothing funny that happens, and that would have been, like, a two and a half, and people would have enjoyed it, I think. It also could have gone, like, like we see in the blooper reel, like, ridiculous. A bunch of slapstick... We got pizzas falling on the floor, people falling down. Okay, here's the thing. I was listening to some other podcasts that talked about this movie, and something that was pointed out on one of them was that if you watch that blooper reel, you know who's never in those bloopers having fun? Hayden Christensen and Emma Roberts. That's because they realize that they're the worst characters. Maybe Hayden Christensen was just, like, so upset. Like, he seems like a guy who commits. Like, he's he's not ha- he can't laugh it off when he drops a pizza. Like, he's in character. Like this guy, whatever. What's have we, have we named the characters yet? His name is Leo. Leo. It's Leo and Nikki. And Nikki, I completely forgot about the names of these characters. Yeah, Leo. Like he's committed to his family. He's committed to not dropping pizzas. You know. But I, I think if they'd had like a bunch of slapstick and stuff, I also think it could have worked. But instead, they're just insistent on these like national lamb grade sophomoric like crude humor. And it just, it goes being like forgettable or watchable to just being like in really poor taste. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is just a rolling disaster. So Andrea Martin and Danny Aiello have their revelation. The families are aghast. And guess what? There's going to be a new pizza competition. And so what the families decide is that each family will enter the pizza competition. And whichever family loses, what, like has to leave town or close their restaurant? Has to leave Little Italy, so they could literally reopen the restaurant one block away. Where they'd probably be more successful, because as we've seen, both restaurants are in decline, possibly because they're right next to each other. Yeah, it would be good for both if they one of them moved. And don't forget the reason that they haven't entered this contest. It's annual, but the two dads couldn't enter it because they were kicked out. Because of the massive fight they had after winning. Well, fair. So what they say is... Their kids have to join. The physical oh, altercation. Thing, why didn't the parents do the contest? The like Danny Aiello and Andrea Martin? Yeah. They just didn't care enough? Why didn't Christensen and Emma Roberts care Because they're in love. <laughs> I don't think they do. I don't understand why they do it. They clearly think the feud is stupid. Emma Roberts is allegedly going back to the UK, a thing that the movie has totally abandoned, except for when it will want it again suddenly. Yes. So... She even says she wants to be a real chef. She doesn't do pizza. So she's initially not going to take part in the competition and leaves the restaurant. But they do it anyway because the movie needs to go on. Yeah. So she decides to enter the contest. The night before, we get the whole Luigi shit happening, which just oh, made Mark, me you didn't so like that part? mad. Oh, we got to talk about that. It was just so... It kept getting worse and worse and worse, and you could tell that the writer was, like, patting themselves on the back yeah, for he being that was so the best progressive. Scene. So Luigi <laughs> is the bar owner, played by an actor of Chinese descent, who is also Hayden Christian's roommate. So he participated in the making Emma Roberts think she had sex with people and, in the apartment. And, you know, it would be kind of cool if they had a, you know basically colorblind casting in a way where they cast someone of Chinese descent to play an Italian. But then they bring it up and Hayden Christensen tells him like, you're not even Italian. Your name isn't Luigi. It's, um, I don't remember what his Chinese name is. And then Luigi's like, yeah, but when I came out as gay, my dad kicked me out and it was the Italians that brought me in. So I changed my name to Luigi and became Italian. And Hayden Christensen is like, I accept you for being gay. And then Luigi's like, I was always worried that you wouldn't accept me either. And Hayden Christensen's like, I never had a problem with you being gay. And he's like, not because I'm gay. Because I'm not Italian. And then the icing on the shit cake, they hug. And Luigi, of course, grabs Hayden Christensen's butt, but then says, this is how Chinese people hug. And I had to pause the movie and take a breath. I will say, the best part of the blooper reel is the actor who played Luigi, Andrew Fung, just delivering different lines while grabbing Christensen's ass. What I don't get is, why... How is it 
true at the simultaneously that one he was so thankful to the Italians for taking him in that he changed his name to Luigi, but also he was worried that Hayden Christensen accept him for who he was because he wasn't Italian. Like, right? It doesn't like make any literally. Sense. It's not like, like you know, isolation thing. Like ah, if you look at these two lines from an hour apart, there's a little bit of a contradiction there. It's literally he's saying stuff. 10 seconds later, that is inconsistent with what he said 10 seconds before. Makes no sense. Anyway, the next day they have the contest. Unsurprisingly, the two of them make it through the first round and then are in the grand finale together. Mano a mano. And this will determine which family has to leave Little Italy. But at one point, Nikki goes down to get her sauce and she's like, ah, Leo is distracted above and the movie kind of implies, but doesn't confirm, but is very clear that it happens. She switches their sauces. So Leo is making a pizza with his grandfather's dough recipe and her grandmother's sauce recipe, which is the pizza that won all those years ago. Also, switching sauces sounds gross, and we should never say that again. So I love that she just decides to throw her family under the bus and get them kicked out of Little Italy. Except so that, that like you said, win. this will be better for their business. I know. So maybe she's rational in that way. But after that, they announce the winner. She just gets in a cab that's waiting for her <laughs> with her suitcase that was behind the scenes. Goes and straight to the airport. Goes straight to the airport. And I think her grandma sees her and waves. But that's it. Or no, it's her friend. Her friend sees her getting in the cab and going home to London. And it's just like, bye. And doesn't tell anyone until Leo's like, stop, I don't deserve to win. It's her sauce. No, you got to do it more. Stop, I don't deserve to win. So sauce. It's a wrong pizza. So her friend who has kids has a minivan and bolts to the airport. And I guess that's probably 0.5. Uh, the contest was 0.4. Um, and then point five is the airport. Nikki, please. Stay. See what we could be. Girl, go to London. Don't change your plans for no man. So she's going through security. She is the worst person in security who has ever lived. And I know I'm saying this after we've had several weeks of dealing with some real serious airport situations in the world, but Emma Roberts in this movie is the worst person to go through airport security. I don't think they would let her fly. I think they would, like, have sufficient basis for, like, willfully resisting instructions and just bar her from passing through security altogether. She's like a smuggler, She has to go clearly. through four times for four different pieces of jewelry. And watching this the whole time, my friends who I had just traveled with kept looking at me because they could tell how stressed I was because they've already made fun of me for how I behave in airports. Or maybe they were furious with you for being a real menace and making them watch it. <laughs> that definitely played a role, too. Anyway, her incompetence gives Leo enough time to arrive to the airport and be like, Nikki, I'm in and love with you. And they actively shut down operations while this whole scene is happening. Because the security guard, who does say, don't give up your future for a man, and thus will be my answer later to a question. No, no, no. I'm sorry, Mark. She says, girl, don't give up your future for a man. But after all this shit happens, she announces like regular operations have resumed. And I was just like, why did you shut it down to begin with? 40 people just missed their flights. This movie opened like a month after Set It Up came out on Netflix, which has the best version of the airplane scene where everyone just goes about their business. Yeah. Should we talk about the TSA? I mean, probably. Yeah. Not good. <laughs> it's a black woman and a horrible stereotype of a gay man. And of course, yes, the two gay characters also end up together at the end. Well, yeah. Who else are they going to be with? Yeah. It was pretty quickly, too. Yeah. We basically cut from this to Danny Aiello and Andrea Martin getting married. And this is when we find out that that horrific opening narration was being said oh, wait, to Jane Seymour, we need, we need to who is for about, some reason also at this wedding. So specifically the romance, what Hayden Christensen yells out, he's like, I've changed. Like, how does he change? In what way has he changed? From <laughs> what to what? For what did she want him to change? She didn't object to anything real about him. And there's, he's not even like a bad guy, right? Like, it's not like he makes a bad decision. Like, he's just a nice guy who cares about family, like, kind of airheaded. Like, I, I, I don't understand. And, like, she, you know, has her changing to do. If anything, she's a slightly more developed character with, like, her own internal conflicts that you can infer from the plot, like, Canada or the UK, you know? And she, I've made my choice, but her choice clearly seems to be riding on something about which is extremely nebulous. 
Right. It's implied that like maybe it's a change from before she left, but since we learned nothing about that period, right. we can't know about it. Like, was there some expanded universe content we were when supposed he, to be familiar with? He's saying with? I've changed to refer to five years before, and he's saying it even though she hasn't picked it up over the past two weeks. All of that happens at a level of Fortnite. You guys didn't play that? <laughs> we need Little Italy Origins, yeah. Leo. No, Lita Origins. Now that's a movie I'd watch. God. Anyway. <laughs> uh, they're together at the end, and they open a pizzeria called Pizza Organica. And uh, Jane Seymour's restaurant in London closes. Oh, yeah. And so then Jane Seymour is like, instead, I'd like to franchise your restaurant in Europe. No. Remember when she says, like, I need to find the best big thing. It is yet. And she takes one bite of pizza. And she's like, it's I pizza. just. pizza. Really? Like, if you ask anyone, name a food, I'm pretty sure pizza pops up in, like, the first three to five. Right. Like, on the Family Feud version of this, pizza's, like, and like she's number a pizza one. Re- like, I I don't understand. Like, did she think, like, no pizza could possibly be this good? Or, like, it did it just not cross her mind? I don't understand. Um, anyway, and that's how the movie ends. And then we get a blooper reel. So, guys, after watching this... This movie is a war crime. After watching this saga unfold, how do you feel about the romance between Nikki and Leo? Believable? I have no idea because it's so inconsistent from scene to scene that I'm incapable of judging anything that happens. This is the first like not applicable to the one through 10. It's not like the scale too low, too high. It's just, it's not there. It's like asking about the romance between like uh, a slice of pepperoni pizza and like a pizza slicer. I mean, those, well, the pizza slicer <laughs> murders it. So what you're saying is it cuts it in half. You're saying that this movie has murdered our scale. Like it killed Danny Aiello. <laughs> There's a lot of casualties. Um, I would say the romance between the grandparents, we have a little bit. I'd give that. Yeah, yeah, I like that romance. If that's the movie, I'm into it. So if we have to average it somewhat, I, I don't know. Where does it come a out? Like one. a four? I think the other right. one is so bad that it brings the movie down to a right. one. I'm going to say two. I like Aiello and Martin. But yeah, the other just, it doesn't make any sense. I, I guess we have to just look at it in the abstract of girl goes off to the UK, comes back, finds her hometown. But that's the problem. Because we don't know, is he the hometown, like, former fling? Then it's believable they get back together. Did they never get together? Then there must be some... Right. But it's much less believable, especially when we still have our flight attendant lady who has disappeared from the movie, and where does she fit <laughs> no, Yeah, was she at the airport? Uh, if she'd showed up at the airport. That would have been great. Uh, so, Tim, where would you rate this right, on a 10 Grandparents, I give an 8. And uh, the two I give... As Jane Seymour was forced to do this movie, if I am forced to give a rating, I give a... Uh, a six and a half because they like pizza and it's clear that pizza is central to both of their lives and that's what apparently what you need for a relationship okay all right uh do you think that nikki and leo are dateable they're not humans so no dating them is some sort of illegal act he's yeah if he's i like had to date one dog, of those two right? though like, i think it would be leo probably Nikki's outfit when she gets off the plane alone is enough to tell you that she is a full psychopath. Right. You don't... One day she's going to be wearing all black and, like, can't deal with you and is heading back to the UK in two days, or if she's going to be wearing tie-dye and jorts and wants to play soccer. She's still wearing those heels when they play soccer in the rain. No, she's barefoot. But, like, and, up to that point. She's, oh, like, yeah, up to that point. Heels, and she does walk out into, like, the muddy field in those heels. Yes, that is true. If you guys did have to pick one person to date, who would it be? Oh, boy. Um, I, I, I'm honestly at, the, at a loss for this one. I don't, I don't think there's a... There's, there's like, one, one person that... Um, I guess, you know what? Maybe, like, one of the old ladies who the guy was dancing with. Because they were kind of fun. I think even though she is, like, a horrible stereotype, the line, girl, don't give up your future for any man, puts the TSA agent probably as my top choice. Just because at least she has some sense as compared to everyone else who has no sense. I think there's there's like one guy in the movie who comes in and like asks if uh, his pizza can be cut a different way and gets yelled at. Oh, do you know who that is? His name is Mr. Puzo and on his shirt it says Mario. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah, I guess I will also date Mario Puzo, author of The Godfather. Oh. Don't worry, not the only Godfather reference in this movie, because at one point they are having a barbecue and handing out some cannolis, and a guy asks for some gum, specifically so that somebody elsewhere in the scene can tell a third person, take the gum, leave the cannoli. I, I repress the scene where she gets hit on by the other hometown guy in her backyard. That's awful. Oh, I forgot about that. 
Mm, nope. We don't really um, need to address it. Yeah. I watched The Godfather last night, and I don't... Good movie. I think, like, Donald Petrie, if, if this took place in the Godfather universe, I think Donald Petrie would have a horse head in his bed the next morning. Wait, you're saying if the film Little Italy were made in the universe <laughs> That's of the correct. Godfather, the mob would get involved? You remember the scene where he's talking about, like, we got to get the newspapers on it. They're very concerned with their press, right? They got to get the press stuff. They can't. Tom Hagen would not allow True. this to happen. If you guys, oh, we answered that one. Would Nikki and Leo stay together? There's no way to know. They're not people. I don't understand anything about their lives or motivation. moving on. Maybe they'll get into a big feud and they'll create separate pizza organicas next door to each other. I think the grandparents will stay together just just based on, like, you know, probability and time. Me too. Oh, definitely. Yeah, they'll stay together. So a lot of movies we cover are turned into musicals. Should there be a Little Italy musical? Yes. I, You know, I think if this story has to exist, that's the medium in which it should. I think just like the basic premise of like two competing Italian restaurants makes for musical. Guys. West Side Story exists. Like, we don't need more New York-based rival Romeo and Juliet's. This isn't set in New York, Mark. It's set in Toronto. I guess Canada needs its own You didn't ask me what the limits are. There's going to be real pizza in this one. They're going to be passing out pizza to the whole audience. (laughs) Oh, like in the Oklahoma revival where they gave everybody cornbread. Right. It's a 4D musical. Oh, right. And oh, in the the rain scene where everyone's going to get split. Do they like hand out ponchos with the logo for the uh, show? No, on? they they be um, sleeping gas in the audience, and then you uh, in like a kind you wake of a up mo- naked in Hayden Christensen's bed. Yeah, you you don't, but it's like a you know kind of like a Star Tours type thing where like it's a green screen, and so you feel like you're in Hayden Christensen's bed. Oh God, I think we can uh, leave it there. <laughs> I think that sums up Little Italy. Next week, we are also going to be doing an Italian-inspired story, but this one will have a pig in it, because we are watching Hayao Miyazaki's terrific anti-fascist film, Porco Rosso. If you do not live in the U.S., it is likely on Netflix now, and I would highly recommend you watch it. It is one of the best Miyazaki movies that no one has seen. I love Porco Rosso. It's the age when seaplanes ruled the Mediterranean. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Those all really help people to find us and listen to the show. All right, last question. What's the best piece of dating advice you got from the movie? Uh, apparently, when you make a pizza, only sauce crust matter. Cheese does not matter at all. And that'll help you find love. Uh, under the rules of this movie, it will. You know what? That's fair. Will? Um, I think that the big thing I got out of this movie was the best date is one where you just look at novelty t-shirts. My advice is to stunt back on your hometown friends at your hometown bar. Wear your most ridiculous outfit and look completely out of place. And maybe an old lover will find you. All right. There you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye! I think we're just about ready to build the perfect pizza. Be my pizza! P-I-Z-Z-A!